Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome to this morning's Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. we got some great guests for you, so you want to stay with us. Here's a question. Do you need a last will and testament? Well, because of last will and testament is such an important document, state law provides several grounds for contesting a will's validity and its enforceability. And for this reason, if you're not an attorney and you've been thinking about writing your own will... Well, you need to take care to avoid the many pitfalls that might cause problems for your heirs when you die. Well, or after you die, whatever you want to look at that. You might think you know a lot about wills, or you might be like a lot of people that you feel like you don't need a will. My guests today are the experts, Tiffany Mouders, an attorney specializing in family law, probate, and estate planning, and Scott Jordan, certified financial planner with Shoemaker Financial. They will share with us the basics and give us steps to avoid making common mistakes. If you change your mind after you've written your will, how hard is it to change? Well, that's going to be a good, that's a good question. We're going to find the answer out. Stay with us. Tiffany Bowders and Scott Jordan coming up. From our Did You Know files, new jobs. The Department of Labor recently posted that 92% of the 820,000 new jobs created in the United States year to date, that's through April the 30th, are in the private sector not the government. That's good. That's real good economic news. Looks like we're going to have fewer future taxpayers, so says the Center of Disease Control. Now, I'm not sure why the Disease Control Center tells this, but this is important for us to know. The greatest number of births in the United States history, that's 4.32 million, occurred in calendar year 2007. That's equal to eight babies born per minute for the entire year. I'm impressed. But here's the statistic for 2018. 2018, 3.79 million births, the lowest American total since 1986. That's equal to seven babies born per minute. Okay, fewer taxpayers, fewer Social Security. We're just going to have to go back to having babies. No doubt about it. And finally, from the New York Times. This is big. I just love reading this. Hedge fund billionaire Ken Griffin. I'm trying to find out if I'm any kin to him. Maybe figure that out somehow. He may he paid $238 million for a New York City penthouse in January of this year, 2019. Guess what? That's the most expensive residential purpose purchase in United States history. I'm impressed. Two hundred and thirty-eight million. I just would like to, you know, walk around in a two hundred and thirty-eight million dollar house. But get a, you know, you'd get a guided tour or something like that. If you have questions for Talk Money, send them to Talk Money at ShoemakerFinancial.com. To find today's program on podcast or past programs, go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Coming up, estate planning basics and steps to avoid common estate planning mistakes. Tiffany. 
Randy Bowders, and Scott Jordan. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990, FM 107.9. This is Talk Money. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Security and Financial Services are affiliated with Tiffany Bowders or Butler, Severe, Hensley, and Reed. The views and opinions expressed are those of Tiffany Bowders only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Security and Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, recently a study was conducted by Princeton Survey Research Associates, and uh, they surveyed 1,000 adults in January of 2017, and they found out that more than half of the people ages 55 to 64 do not have a will. Now, I get that. That kind of makes me a little concerned with that age group. But here's a group, 45 to 54 age group. They're even worse. 62% of them are failed to make plans for distribution of their assets after, their, after they die. Now, I look at those two, and I'm saying, okay, those, that's a group that should be thinking about it, paying attention. But this is really a concern. When you look at the millennials, that the group 18 to 36, that have children, 78% of them do not have a will. My guests, Tiffany Bowders, Scott Jordan, we're talking about common mistakes that we make and literally how to look through the process and decide just exactly what you need and why you need it and, uh, and, and go through the process of putting together your last will and testament. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Jim. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Great. And Tiffany, I'm glad to have you here. You dress up the studio tremendously this morning. Scott, welcome to the program. Jim, always a pleasure. Glad to be here. All right, guys. Let's talk about this. Tiffany, I'm going to go to you first. When I talk about estate planning, that's a big term. And to a lot of people, when I say the term or you say the term, well, you need to have a estate plan, you can see them kind of daze over a little bit, almost check out. So explain to me, what is estate planning from your chair and why do I need it? Absolutely. So I, I think you're right. A lot of people, when they hear the term estate or estate planning, they think a couple of things. One, they think that it's something that's only needed for people who have a lot of wealth or a lot of assets. And that's not true. They also think it's something that's going to be complex and expensive. And that's also not necessarily true. In fact, most people only need some basic documents to ensure that what they want to have happen to their property when they pass away is what actually happens and to ensure that their loved ones are provided for in the event of their death. Also, estate planning encompasses things that you need to consider during your lifetime as well. For example, it's not just about having a last will and testament, but also about having power of attorney documents so that someone can handle your affairs or make health care decisions for you in the event that you're not able to do that for yourself. Okay, when you talk about power of attorney, actually the power of attorney, you actually said some common documents, you know, that the people use. And I'm, and I'm thinking through that. I, I know a couple, and I want you to kind of go through that, because for our listening audience, the reality is I don't need to have the dump truck backed up to me, but I definitely need a few things that are absolutely important what would you label as absolutely important? Now, we're going to start with a last will and testament. 
that's distributing my estate the way I want it to go. So we take that for granted. Is that good enough? Can I just say that? Or what would you say? Well, no. So so you're she right. She didn't there, agree with me. You there are, already. There already. Are, <laughs> there are, um, so there are three documents that everyone needs. Okay. The first, as you said, <clears throat> is the last will and testament. And that's the document that sets forth what you want to have happen to your property when you pass. It's also the document where you're going to name a guardian for any minor children that you have in the event that you pass away or you and your spouse have both passed away. The next document you're going to need is the power of attorney document. And that document is effective during your lifetime. And it's where you give somebody else the power to act on your behalf in the event that you're not able to do that for yourself. And the final document that most people need or everyone needs in their uh, estate plan is what we call living will, sometimes called an advanced directive. Now, when you say, uh, let's go back to the last will and testament with the guardianship. So if I have a minor child and uh, I pass away, my wife and I pass away in a common disaster, in a common disaster, we die together, okay? And... I have to name that guardian in my life. If that's not, the state's going to do that. Correct. So you want to name the person that you want to have physical custody of your children, who's going to raise your children and care for your children in the event that both you and your spouse have passed away. If you don't name that person, then the courts are going to get involved and they're going to have to make a decision about who the best person is. They're going to look at the best interest standard of the child. And it could get into some messy litigation with family members, each petitioning the court. There may have to be a trial. So it's just unnecessary litigation that you could avoid um, in the if you just were to name the person that you would like to have as the guardian in your last will and testament. Okay, let's stop right there then. Let's just say from, a, from if you have minor children, it, there is no reason for a person not to have a will if they have minor children. Oh, absolutely. If you have minor children, you absolutely need a will for a couple of reasons. One, as we talked about, you need to name that guardian. But two, you're going to want to set into place some parameters about how you want that money to pass to your children. So if you don't have a last will and testament and you and your wife die, uh, all of your property is going to pass to your children through intestate succession. But if they're minors... They're not going to be able to just get that money. Instead, the court is going to have to open what we call a guardianship. And that money is going to be held in a guardianship. It's going to have court oversight. It's going to cost legal fees. The uh, person who is the guardian of the money is going to have to go to the court, get permission to encroach on those funds when they need to. And your children will get their money outright at 18. Now, if you have a last will and testament, you can set up what we call a testamentary trust in your last will and testament, and you can name the person who you want to be trustee of those funds, and that person will be able to have the discretion to provide for health, maintenance, education of your kids, and you'll be able to set in place the guidelines that you want um, as far as when you would like your children to actually receive their money outright. So perhaps you want them to get it all at 25, or maybe you want them to get half at 25, half at 30. Uh, so in that, for those reasons, it's very important for families who have minor children to make sure they have a last will and testament. So, you know, to me, the way you stated that was very clear. Bottom line is, if you don't, the court's involved. I have actually been a guardian 
guardian had to serve as a guardian ad litem. And the point being is that, you know, we'd have to go to the courts for Christmas presents. Correct. I mean, that's not fun. I mean, you know, and you got you got in-laws, you got parents, you got grandparents, you not parents, grandparents, you got uncles and aunts, and they seem to all gather around when it's time to disperse the money, and you, you get issues. Why wouldn't that be so obvious? Why do people procrastinate in doing that then? From from your practice, and Scott, I'm asking you the same question because yeah. we, we deal with that, but let's go with it, Scott. Let's start with you. Why do well, people procrastinate? Well, you know, I think, I think it's hard for people to think about their own mortality. I think that's a big deal. You know, we... we Typically, as part of our planning process, what's I guess I'll use the word nudge. We have to nudge people along into this. Most people agree that they need it when you bring it up. They're like, "Yeah, I need to get that done." But without a little a little nudging, they will put that off. And I think it's just it's hard to think about your own mortality. But like she said, I, it is just a critical piece to have that in line, especially when there's minor children involved to get that taken care of. I agree. I think that it's a couple of reasons from my perspective, what I've seen in my practice. I think, one, it is really hard for people to think about um, their own mortality, as Scott said. I think, two, sometimes it's hard for couples to sit down and make those decisions together about who they want to be the person that has guardianship of the children. You know, do they want it to be his parents or her parents or his sister or her sister? I think, too, they have to make decisions about the ages that they want the kids to get the money and things like that. And, two, I think when it comes to my clients who are young couples, they have young kids, I think it's just a matter of time, too, making the time to do it. um, They're busy. They're taking care of children. A lot of times both parties are working. And so... So I always joke that I get the phone call usually, and it goes like this, that they're going out of town for the first time together and leaving the kids at home with grandma, and they realize, oh, we don't have a will. And so they have to, um, you know, then they're calling me, and they're like, hey, we're going to go to the Bahamas uh, Friday. Can can we get the will done? Or I get this call sometimes, and they say, oh, I have to have surgery. And, you know, so something prompts them to make them realize, oh, I need to take this off the back burner and make this a priority. So I really think it's just a combination of those things. I think that's a great thought process. If you just tune in, my guest is Tiffany Bowders and Scott Jordan. We're talking about basic estate planning mistakes and the basics of estate planning. And what we've discovered is no reason for a person to not have a last will and testament, especially if you have minor children, you need to name a guardian and you need to take care of the assets that may be small or large that you're going to be passing to minor children. So we've covered that, I think, in in a very effective way. The reality is don't procrastinate if you're going to or plan a trip, you know what you're saying. I like the thought. Get a trip, plan a trip. That'll force you to get it started and, and say, hey, we're going to be for the first time leaving the country or going to leave the kids with grandma. We better do something. I like that thought process. Now, Tiffany, you mentioned, so we start with last will and testament, power of attorney. Now, that's not at death, is it? That's- it's it's not correct, Jim. And I, of all the documents that people can have, I, I personally am the most passionate about making sure my clients have a power of attorney. I think it's such an important document. It's, it's an easy document to execute. It, it takes almost no time at all. And it could save you and your family so much time and money and heartache uh, in the long run if you need it. And so a power of attorney document, 
you're right. It doesn't have any effect after death. Instead, it's effective during your lifetime. And it's where you give another person the ability to handle your financial affairs and also to handle um, healthcare decisions for you in the event that you need someone to do that for you. So you would name somebody who would have the ability to access lockboxes, write and uh, write checks, buy and sell real property, talk to your creditors, all of those things, things that you could need to do for yourself in the event you can't, you can name this person to do that for you. And also they would have the ability to talk to your doctors, to access your medical records, and to make healthcare decisions for you in the event that you don't have the ability to do that for yourself. The reason that it's such an important document is that if something happens to you, like let's say you're in a, a car wreck or you have a stroke or with some of my older clients, they have dementia and they're not able, they don't have capacity to make those decisions. If you don't have a power of attorney document, the only other option the family is going to have to take care of you is to go to the probate court and open what we call a conservatorship. And the conservatorship is a a much more complex, expensive process. You know, the court is involved. There's a hearing. There's a guardian ad litem appointed, maybe an attorney ad litem appointed. So it can be expensive. Uh, and all of that can be avoided if you were to sign the power of attorney document. So I think it's a very That's important a very, document. That, that ties that together. Scott, I know you see a lot of people, and we we talk a lot about this, it appears, and I'm going to kind of wanted you to kind of help us with this. It appears that a lot of people think that estate planning is what, as Tiffany is so eloquently describing, from us from the last will and testament to the power of attorney, and we're going to get into some other things too. But that it's only for, and I, I don't want to use the word super wealthy, but it's only for the affluent or the the wealthy. And I, I know from what we stand, and I don't want to get her opinion too, but we just say no, absolutely not. So what? How would you well, say? Well, that's, that's absolutely right, Jim. We we hear that a lot, and we see that a lot. You know, it's uh, they think it's for like your hedge fund example guy. Yeah, right. Two hundred thirty-eight. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah, he needs it, but I don't. And I and I think that goes back. And I think uh, Tiffany brought up a good point that people think it's real complex. It's real expensive. And and in reality, just getting those basic documents, everybody should have those, uh, the will, the power of attorney and the living will. Everybody should have that in place. Uh, I know, Tiffany, something you're real passionate about and you've talked with a lot of our clients about. And I, I really hadn't thought a lot about it until you brought it up is getting that power of attorney on kids when they go off to college. That's Absolutely. a huge deal. Absolutely. It is a huge deal. People don't think about it. And I make sure that one of the things I always talk to my clients about uh, is if they have children who have turned 18, those children are legally adults, even if right. they're still living at home, even if even they're they don't in college, act like <laughs> even if they don't act like it. And in your mind, you're thinking that they're still your children, and they are. But according to the law, they're adults. Right. And so that means that all the same protections, the rights that we have as adults, your 18-year-old has also. So you want to make sure that your 18-year-old signs their own power of attorney, giving the parents the ability to act on their behalf, to talk to their doctors, for example. Uh, so the example that I give is if your child was in a car wreck and got rushed to the hospital and you were trying to figure out what happened and where they are, then under the laws of HIPAA, really, 
the hospital and the doctors can't tell you if your child is a patient at the hospital or can't discuss your child's situation. You couldn't ask to see their medical records unless you had this power of attorney document or um, if something happened and they have their own bank account Mm -hmm. and you're not on it. Then and you need to access those funds to to pay for something for them. You're not going to be able to do that. And the bank won't even be able to tell you how much money is in there without that power of attorney document. So that's something to keep in mind. Something I always do as part of a package for my clients um, is that if they have adult kids, I make sure that we get the adult kids in, whether it's when they're home from college or whenever, so they can sign their own power of attorney document. Let's talk about that for a second, because you said that when you said when get home from college. But let's take that child who's now graduated out here on his or her own. They're doing their thing. Uh, they're adults mm-hmm. and uh, they're working. And they, and that child ends up, let's go back to your automobile accident. They're not in the hospital. Mom and dad rush there. there there's no other, but it's mom and dad. It's the same. It applies the same way. It's not just for college students. This is an, any adult right. child Literally, whether that child is 10, 15, 25, or whatever, well, I guess I need to go with adult child. I said 10 and 15 is not adult. <laughs> Anybody over 18, 19 years old, they still need a power of attorney, too. Oh, they absolutely do. Just like, just like you or I need one, like we've been talking about how everyone needs one, that person needs one, too. And if they're on their own and they're out there working, then they may want to use mom and dad's attorney and they can come in and we can do a a family sort of a family plan or they can go and find an attorney where they're living Uh, but they absolutely need the same documents that we've been talking about when we come back we're going to find out that being a married couple doesn't always assure you of everything you think it does that's going to be a big issue because i want tiffany to dive into that with us just because you're married you may not have all the authority that you think you know, especially, I mean, you just need to keep that in mind. If you just tuned in, my guest today is Tiffany Bowders and Scott Jordan. We're talking about estate planning basics and estate planning mistakes that we make. We've covered last will and testament, power of attorney. We're going to talk about living wills coming up. Stay with us. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, before we get into what the relationship between a husband and a wife might be as we think about the power of attorney and the relationship and what powers does a spouse have with another spouse if something happens. I got some thoughts here that just kind of, I think it's, we all have to kind of like the elephant in the room. You have to kind of deal with them. What are the excuses that we have a tendency to use to avoid doing what we're talking about today, which we're saying is extremely important for anybody that has a minor children that has minor children or anybody that just wants to make sure that they're passing whether it's a large estate or a small estate, it's just making sure it's going the way you would like for it to be. And nobody has to come to court and argue about it. That's the biggest thing. I've sat in court and watched it, and it's amazing to hear an aunt argue with a grandparent. Or it's, a, you know, you just get it all moving, and it's a dynamic. Money changes everybody. And so what we're talking about is a way to avoid having people come out of the woodwork sometimes. And here's some excuses. Everything I own is held jointly with my spouse. Tiffany, 
Does that eliminate, if everything I own jointly with my spouse, does that just eliminate the need for a will? That's an excuse that I've heard. It Well, it does not. And one reason would be, what happens if you die in a common disaster? Then... What's Explain going, that. What a common disaster is. So it's, let's I mean, say a hurricane that, or a car accident. Correct. Or so let's say that you let's say that you both uh, were to die at the same time, like in a car wreck or right. something like that. Then what is it that you want to have happen to your property when you pass? And so you need to make provisions for that. Um, another thing, another reason why people do is a lot of times people think they know how everything is titled, but they may not be totally correct. And one of the things I do with my clients is have them go back and review everything to make sure they know how it's titled and if there's beneficiaries on it. And oftentimes we'll find that there is an account hanging out there that maybe was in the name of only one spouse, that they thought everything was jointly titled and it wasn't. We've had some that were was titled to the former spouse. Oh, yes. yes. That can be a huge problem. It's a fun conversation. It's a real fun conversation. Yeah, that's right. And uh, so that's why it's important to make sure you understand how everything's titled and, and who the beneficiaries are. So you want to have a will, even if everything is jointly titled, you want to have a will so that it can be um, a backup you know, so that you can make sure that there are no loose ends in the event of these contingent situations that we discussed. Well, that's a great point, because I have one more excuse that I hear a lot, and it's just one of those, I mean, it's people they're thinking, and I know if you're listening to today's show, you're thinking, well, here's, ah, you know, I don't need to do this, and here's the excuse. I don't have a will, don't have a lot of assets, they're going to pass to my heirs anyway. You know, I mean, I hear that, and I understand the thought process, Tiffany. Right. So I think that the first thing to keep in mind is that most people don't really understand who their heirs at law are under the the Tennessee laws of intestate succession. So how you think your property is going to pass, it may not be what happens. Um, I have a client that the husband passed away and he died without a will and everything was titled in his name. And I I don't know this, but I suspect he probably thought it was all going to go to his wife. Absolutely. But, Most of the time, that's what they're thinking. But that's not right. Right. So in Tennessee law, it goes, the wife gets one third or a child share, whichever is larger. So it's divided among your children and your wife. And so if you need to keep that in mind, and in this case, there was a house there's bank accounts, there's all kinds of things, and there are five kids. And so now we're having to go through and figure out who owns what share of each and how we're going to handle all that. And as a result, we had to open up a probate estate. And um, and so it's much more complicated than it needed to be if they had simply had a will that said, all to my, all to my spouse. Yeah. Correct. Let, let, let's go back to that. And Scott, we talked about this. Uh, spouse and an equal, you know, at least, a, you know, the child's share. If they had five kids, as Tiffany's saying, at least a third, a third would yeah. go to mom. And the rest of the kids would split to two-thirds. Am I right? Correct. And, well, there are some other statutory uh, rights that spouses have uh, under Tennessee law that we won't get into right now because they're kind of complicated where they can elect against the will or get certain things. But, yes, by and large, that is how property passes under the laws of intestate succession. You know, we had a case years ago where a spouse and and the, the two spouses from the former marriages had passed away. This couple got married. 
And the reality is they got married, they bought a house together. And in reality, the husband paid most of the house. In fact, 80, 90 percent of the house. 10, 11, 12 years later, he passes away and the house is left and he jointly titled it jointly. And yet, because he died in testate, you know, he thought because of that, he, that's joint. Well, the kids, his kids, come against the estate uh, saying, well, it's dad's house, it's our house now. And we're ready to kick the, the former, the, the spouse out. Uh, went to court. And the judge said, guys, this, this is not going to go any further than this. I mean, it was product, property had been titled correctly, but the kids were still creating. And during that time, for that, I think she probably was in her late 70s, mm-hmm. was traumatic. I mean, just unbelievably stressful because she thought she's going to be kicked out of her house. That's not good. Absolutely and not. And that's what yeah. we're talking about is right. ways to avoid that specific. Okay, now we've got to take a break in a second, but I'm going to ask you this question because I said we were going to do that before the break. If I'm married, what is the power do I have with my spouse if she's in a, if we're, she's in a car accident? Do I really need a power of attorney if I'm married? Yes, you do. Just because you're married, that does not give your spouse the right to, for example, uh, talk to your doctors about your specific health conditions or make health care decisions for you. And it also won't allow you to access their medical records. So if you're married, uh, for example, and you know, your spouse goes and has a primary care physician, you wouldn't be able to go to the primary care physician and ask them anything about your spouse's medical condition or get medical records, or even if they're a patient of theirs, because the HIPAA laws protect us as individuals, regardless of our marital status. So marriage does not give you the power of attorney. It does not. It does not give you the power of attorney. That's a surprise to a lot of people. And I think it's a surprise to... Why not? If I've been married for 30, 40, 50 years and my spouse goes into the hospital, I, you mean I'm not titled to know what's going on with her? And you're saying no. Correct. Now, now, oftentimes when people go in the hospital, the, they, they will talk to the next of kin and things like that. Uh, but really, technically, under federal regulations, we're entitled to our protected health information under HIPAA. And so the answer really is no. No, but I mean, again, you know, they try their best to work with a family and they, they always do. If you just tuned in, my guest today, Scott Jordan and Tiffany Bowders, we are talking about common mistakes and estate planning basics. Now, you know, this is just simple, but you know what? If you're going to find out that we need a last will and testament, if you got minor children, you need to make sure you got a guardianship and you've got to have the power of attorney for an adult child. If that child's at college going this fall, you probably need to sit down today and say, we got to go and talk to Tiffany about getting a power of attorney so that I can access your bank account and you're in college. Got it. Stay with me. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. The Peabody Hotel is a landmark virtually synonymous with the South. Like so much of Memphis life in the 1960s, the hotel's beginnings were surrounded by the joys and sorrows life brings. Saddened by the news of his good friend George Peabody's death, the hotel's builder, Colonel Robert Brinkley, named his new building after his friend. 
Brinkley later gave the hotel to his daughter as a wedding gift. Though the hotel remained in the hands of the Brinkley-Snowden family for decades, it was forced to close and reopen before settling on its present location on Union Avenue in 1925. Since that time, the Peabody has been an important center of culture not only for Memphis and the Mid-South, but for the whole United States. During the 30s and 40s, the hotel hosted one of just three live national radio broadcasts, while the Skyway and Plantation Roof were an attraction for the great big band dancers. But the hotel's greatest and most enduring feature will always be the Duck March. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large-cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. And now, back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, if you've been listening, you know we're talking about common mistakes and some basics about estate planning. And one of the things that I want to make sure you understand is this is just, you can put it off, you can procrastinate. But if something happens to you, your family is going to hope you have done what we've been talking about because it can get real sticky if you haven't. It can get it can put a lot of issues into a family dynamic that can really create problems, financial mistakes. And like we're talking about money in coming into a family can create all kinds of uh, problems that you can avoid if you just do a little bit of that planning prior to death. And that's what we're talking about. But one of the thoughts for you is just make sure you've got adequate records, that you're keeping good records. And then when you put this together, you've got a plan of moving through it and you understand it and get with Tiffany or get with a good attorney that you've got and just say, okay, I want to make sure my family is taken care of, but I want to make sure my family understands my wishes. And that's really what you're trying to do with all this. Scott, let me me go to you because I really want to talk about so many times we we see an issue where maybe the the attorney drafted a good will as Tiffany would and do an excellent job. And then we look at maybe where they change some beneficiaries in the process and they don't match. Yes. So let's talk about that. Tiffany mentioned the fact of just, you know, having the idea of titling property. I want to cover that too, but confirm that we need to, that's a mistake. And a lot of people just don't think about and it happens. So that's a big one that we see a lot, you know, property passes either by will, by contract or by law. And, you know, you're talking about naming beneficiaries. That's on things like life insurance policies, retirement plans at work, IRAs. Those beneficiaries, that property is going to pass according to how you name those beneficiaries, not what you say in your will. So it is extremely important that when you're doing your estate planning and you're reviewing that and continue to look at it over the years to make sure those are in alignment. Uh, you know, we, you know, a case I can think of is accidentally disinheriting a kid because you, you may have named everything in the will to go to all three kids equally, but you named your beneficiaries before that kid was born and they weren't, they weren't included on there. So it's just important to, to make sure those are in alignment and also to review that periodically and, and make sure that those still, you know, that happened. I saw that where they were two children and they were like, um, Oh, four and six, and they grew, and all of a sudden they're 14 and 16, and all of a sudden they're 20, 21, 22, and they have another baby. Right. right. Oh, my goodness. Where did that one come from? It was a surprise, and it was great. Third family is great deal, but they forgot to make the changes, and they just took it for granted. They did it in their will but didn't do it on a large insurance policy, just like you're talking about. And it, you know, it worked out. Granted, it all worked out, but... It was not just, uh, as we say, it didn't flow as easy as it could have, Tiffany. And so we look at that as being the beneficiaries, and you do that. 
Oh, absolutely. And that's one thing that it's important for people to understand, just like Scott said, that anything that you own jointly with another person with right of survivorship or anything with a a beneficiary designation or a payable on death designation passes automatically to that joint owner or to the beneficiary by operation of law. So it is not part of your probate estate. It doesn't pass pursuant to the terms of your last will and testament. It passes pursuant to the joint Uh, designation or the beneficiary designation. So if you have everything titled jointly or if you have beneficiaries listed on it, there may not actually be anything in your probated state to pass under your will. So like Scott said, if you have one child listed as the beneficiary on all of your policies or all your accounts, that child's going to get everything. Mm, That's the problem. And let's talk just briefly about titling assets because you mentioned that a while ago. Um, you say you you request everybody. Scott, what do you do in, in your practice when you're looking through assets and you see things? Is titling a problem? Do you see that as being an issue? Titling can be a big problem. Um, you know, just just like she said, operational law. If if a if a property is titled jointly between two people, and you may wish that your kids get a portion of that instead of your, you know, say you have kids from a prior marriage and now you're remarried. You buy a house together, it's titled jointly. Well, that property is going to pass to that new spouse by operation of law and could end up disinheriting those kids just by the way it's titled. That's a so great, that's always a great have point. to look at those beneficiary designations, how things are titled. You know, we talked about an example earlier. The big one is you know forgetting to change from an ex-spouse to a new spouse on the beneficiary designation. And I've seen that play out in real life on life insurance policy where it was was failed to be I've seen that the same way, too. And I guess what I'm thinking, too, is the reality is that so many times people get a will and they they put it in the shelf or put it in the lockbox and they forget it. How often should a person review his will from your standpoint, Tiffany? So I think that it's important to review your will. I I actually tell my clients, especially depending on how large an estate they have, that they need to talk about their estate plan with whoever their tax advisor is once a year, just to make sure there haven't been any changes that could affect their plan. But aside from that, I think that the important times to make sure you update and review your estate plan are when you divorce, After, if you get a divorce, make sure that you go back, just like what Scott said, make sure that you update your your will, any trust you have, um, your power of attorney designation and all your beneficiary designations. Make sure that you get those changed and uh, how you want them to be Uh, prior to remarriage or when you remarry. When you're in a blended family situation, now your family dynamics have changed and you want to make sure that you're providing for your children the way you want, your new spouse the way you want. Make sure you look at it then uh, when you have additional children born into the family uh, or when you have any major life change, uh, change in your um, financial status. Maybe you're caring for an elderly relative. So anytime there's a, a personal change in your life, it's always a good idea to go Review your estate plan with your attorney and with your financial advisor and your CPA. You know, when you talk about that, I guess, again, will give us a year. I mean, I, again, I think uh, those are all critical pinch points that happen, whether it's divorce or new children or whatever. But 
again, just every three to five years, just make it. It's kind of like you check your your fire, you know, your fire buzzer at the home. Yeah. You know, every, what is it? We do it when we when that we go forward a time change or something. Okay, I'm not saying do it when the time changes, <laughs> but make it kind of like every three years we're going to do it. I think that's a really good idea too, because I was thinking of some while you were saying that I was thinking of some other things. Like, so for example, um, what I see a lot too is when mom or dad dies, they did their estate plan. 35 years ago and the kids were young. And so now, uh, you know, the kids are all grown and the trust that they had set up for the kids and things like that aren't really relevant anymore. Or um, when, as your kids age, you may want to review the age or ages that they get their money outright in their trust. Oh, that's a great point. We've got a case like that. Scott, I'll, I'll yeah. actually, actually, when we come back, I want yeah. you to talk about that specific because it ties in exactly yeah. what you said. If you just tuned in, Tiffany Bowders, she's an estate planning attorney, probate attorney. She knows what she's talking about. If you'd like to talk with her, I'm going to give her that telephone number coming up in a few minutes, you'll just be able to give her a call and go there. In fact, why not I do it now? 578-8888. That's Tiffany Bowders. And Scott Jordan, 757-5757. Just go and find somebody to get this done. Do not procrastinate. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. Podcasts for Talk Money are available for iOS mobile devices in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, we're talking with Tiffany Bowders, and we're talking with Scott Jordan about estate planning mistakes and the basics of estate planning. A lot more we have covered a ton. If you want to listen to this program, you can just simply go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial and re-look at it. Or you can, of course, go to KWAM's website and listen to it there. Now, bottom line is you'll want to review it later. Scott, before the break, we were talking about a case where... It just seems like that there's all kinds of mush and mesh and, you know, moving parts. And talk about that for just a second. Well, we were talking about the need to review and update. And this is a situation where uh, a, a will and trust was drawn up maybe 20 years ago, I think. And, and you have a situation where there's two sons and, and one's great, doing great and, and probably financially responsible and one little more concerned there. So the idea in the beginning was, hey, we're gonna we're gonna put this in trust, but each each child will be their own trustee and have pretty much total access to the to the assets. And and now through review and, and talking through that, we're like, eh, maybe that's not what we want today because we know that, you know, maybe maybe the child will blow through the money too fast and it won't be there for them. So we want to put some different parameters in place. So that just comes, you know, goes back to that need to really look at these things periodically and see how things are developing and see if there's any changes that need to be made. You mentioned the word trustee and the yes. trust and a trustee. Tiffany, from a standpoint of in that scenario, the role of a trustee Give us that fiduciary responsibility to have, and who should I be selecting for the trustee if I have minor children or if I want to take care of my spouse? How do I decide on sure. the trustee? So the trustee is the the person or entity that is in charge of managing the money, and they also are in charge of deciding what disbursements can be made 
for um, the needs of the beneficiaries of the trust. So you can pick an individual as your trustee. So a lot of times we'll see when there's a trust for minor children, we'll see family members picking um, another family member, someone who knows the children, knows their needs, someone that they trust uh, to manage the money for the kids and then to be able to pay for the children's needs. You could also pick a corporate trustee. There are uh, different trust banks and that have trust departments who uh, that is their job. They are professionals at managing this money and then the beneficiaries can come to them when they want to access those funds and they are the ones who oversee and manage the money. Do they is there, are they fiduciaries? Is that individual the trustee if you name a family member? Are absolutely. They a, they're a fiduciary. Oh, abs- absolutely. It's a fiduciary <laughs> duty and responsibility that you have to the beneficiaries. The trustee must act in the best interest of the beneficiaries. So they can't make gifts to themselves or do anything to benefit themselves. They have to act only in the best interest of the beneficiaries. So so let me make sure when you say if you can you name a individual and a corporate trustee to work together is that what you would recommend or how would you do here's my if you name an individual do they get the pressure sometimes of minor children or you know how they did you handle it right you know would you name a trustee and a guardian to be the same person or would you name separate so there's a couple of schools of thought on that i think that most people are more comfortable naming a different person or a corporate trustee as the trustee to manage the money than who they would name as the guardian of the children so that there's some checks and balances with regards to the money. Do, do they have to know how to manage money? Is that their responsibility? Are you saying are they responsible for managing the money? They can hire somebody else to do it. They can hire someone else to do it, and that does happen oftentimes. I would say that you need to pick somebody who has a good grasp of finances and somebody who is going to be comfortable acting in that role. If you don't have anybody like that that you know in your family, then in that case, I do recommend the corporate trustee. You know, guys, you guys have just laid it out and done a phenomenal job. We've covered everything. We have. We now understand estate planning and everybody needs it. It doesn't have to be that complicated. We talked about some pitfalls that if you die intestate, you're going to end up with issues there. You, you need to have a will just to make sure it's passed the way you want it to be. And I think one of the probably the, the idea behind the minor Take care of the minor. That's important and needs to be sensitive to that. And I guess when we think about it, the order of power of attorney, everybody needs a power of attorney. What would you say? Oh, absolutely. I think of if you if you don't take anything else away from today's broadcast, please make sure that you have a power of attorney for yourself and for your adult children. Scott, any thoughts from you quickly? Well, I would just say, you know, everybody has a plan either by design or by default. Either you're going to design it or the state of Tennessee or whatever state you live in is going to design it for you. You have a plan. So I I would recommend that you meet with an attorney and and design it the way you want. Well, I think that's the key right there. Guys, thanks so much. You've done a wonderful job. Thank you, Tiffany, for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Jim. 
You know, you've been listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. My guest, Tiffany Bowders, her number, if you would like to ask her a question, 901-578-8888. If you'd like to talk to Scott Jordan, call him at 757-5757. We hope you've enjoyed today's program. As always, thanks for listening. If you have questions for Talk Money, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. To find today's program on podcasts or past programs, go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. Be sure to like us on Facebook. We would appreciate it. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Thanks for listening. This is Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.